welcome to the Creekside Community Church Podcast. If you don't yet follow Jesus, we want to provide you with a safe place to explore the Christian faith. If you are a Christian, we want to provide you with resources to help you grow in your faith and ultimately serve Jesus more effectively. For more information or to partner with us, visit our website at creekside.cc. Subscribe so that you don't miss any of our messages. We hope this content helps you take your next step with Jesus. We live in a world full of outrage and anger. Would you agree? I know personally, uh, you know, we have a car that fits uh, us and all our kids, and I've just experienced personally driving the last few years, I feel like there's more and more aggressive driving. Is it just me, or people seem angrier all the time, like, on your tail, pass you, glare you, right? Uh, And I actually did some research, and no, you don't just feel that way, it actually is that way. In 2016, 252 people in Colorado were seriously injured due to aggressive driving. Last year, that number was 399, almost doubled in five years. On a national level, you see the same kind of trends. Um, This is very troubling to me. In 2016, 239 people were killed or injured from road rage shootings. On a national level in 2021, that number was 522. What we're seeing in our culture and our world today is that anger and outrage are increasing at an exponential rate, which is frightening. And you don't just see it on the road. Don't even get me started about social media. I mean, we live in a world now where people don't simply unfriend each other, uh, but stop talking to each other because of things people post, things people believe. It's anger, it's outrage. It's increasing exponentially. And actually, uh, even with this sermon series we're doing, where we're kind of building off of uh, the He Gets Us campaign, there's been anger and outrage about that. Um, We ordered a sign and stuck it up on the road. And Carrie Breckenridge, our office administrator, texted me on Friday and said, "Um, someone cut down our sign. And for a minute, I was like, oh, what? And then because I'm a preacher, I went... This is a perfect sermon illustration. Because <laughs> we are talking about anger and outrage, right? And people are so angry, they would stop by a church and cut out that church's sign. This is the world we live in. And I want to make two simple points about anger and outrage today. Um, number one, Jesus gets our anger. He gets it. He experienced anger too. We're going to look at a passage that shows us. But then number two, more importantly, Jesus wants something better for us. And he taught a better way and he modeled a better way. And so whether you think you struggle struggle with anger and outrage or not, um, I want to encourage you that Jesus gets us and he teaches us a better way. And if we take his teaching to heart, I think the world will be a much better place. So let's talk about Jesus and his experience of anger. This comes from the Gospel of Mark, one of the four biographies of Jesus we have preserved in the New Testament. And many scholars believe that the Gospel of Mark is actually our earliest biography of Jesus we have uh, of Jesus. And it's very early. Some people think as early as the 40s even. Um, 
20 years or so after Jesus' death and resurrection, John Mark, um, a disciple, a follower, and then a, a helper of Simon Peter, who was one of Jesus' closest disciples, um, wrote down these words. He said that on one occasion, Jesus entered the synagogue again, and a man was there who had a shriveled hand. Now, in order to accuse him, they were watching him closely. Now, the they from the context is the Pharisees and the religious leaders. So the religious leaders are watching Jesus closely to see whether he would heal this man on the Sabbath. Jesus told the man with the shriveled hand, stand before us. Then he said to them, is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. They didn't answer Jesus. And after looking around at them with anger, Jesus is mad. And grieved. He was grieved at the hardness of their hearts, and he told the man, Stretch out your hand. And so he stretched it out, and his hand was restored. And immediately the Pharisees threw a party because someone had been healed. <laughs> immediately the Pharisees went out and started plotting with the Herodians against Jesus how they might kill him. See multiple aspects of anger and outrage in this story, don't we? Now, I want to talk a bit about what anger is. What is this emotion? And anger is just a natural response when something is wrong with the world and needs to be addressed. Most often we experience this personally. Often it's related to uh, rejection or feeling like we're being treated unfairly or unjustly. But at, at its core, it's pain we experience when something in the world is wrong and it needs to be addressed. So, so for example, <clears throat> I was thinking about this the other week because I was at Costco and it was one of those days where you should not go to Costco. I think it was a Saturday because the lines were like halfway down the store aisles. I don't know if you've ever experienced this. Really annoying. So I waited in line forever. And then when I get to the front of the line, the checker puts one of those little things it says, this lane is closed on the cart in front of me. I was like, what? They're like, it was supposed to be there and someone moved it, I think. It wasn't there the whole time. And, and it wasn't just that this happened, but the checker's like attitude was like, just go away. Like, no apology, you know, <laughs> just like, go find a different line. With you. And I felt anger, <laughs> I've waited in this line, and not only do I have to wait in another line, but you just treated me like I don't matter, like I'm a bug that, you know, you don't care about. Anger is a natural response when you feel treated unfairly. I felt like I was treated unfairly, and so I felt, experienced anger. This is not right. Something needs to be changed, addressed, and that's how it is with all of us. We feel anger when we feel like something is wrong and needs to be addressed, needs to be resolved, needs to be changed. But something is interesting about this story, and I want to draw your attention to it because it's going to give us an insight about what we're going to read that Jesus teaches in a moment. Almost always for me, and I think for most of us, our anger is about us. I was treated unfairly. I didn't like that. That's not good for me. But Jesus' anger in this story is not about his own feelings, his own experiences. It's about the man with the shriveled hand. It's about someone else. 
It's anger at someone else being treated unfairly and unjustly. So what's going on inside of Jesus' heart and mind? Well, we know that from other passages, Jesus taught very clearly the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. And what he meant by that is that, look, hey, Pharisees, religious leaders, when God gave the command to rest on the Sabbath day, that was actually for your good as humans. This was a gift. Every seven days, you're supposed to take a day off to restore yourself, to worship Yahweh, yes, to worship the Lord, but also just to rest. It's for you and for your health and for your good. And you fast forward to Jesus' time, and the Pharisees and the religious leaders say, we have to honor God's law to a T. And they're putting so much emphasis on following the rules that they're trampling on this poor man with a withered hand who suffered for years, and now Jesus is there and can heal him. And they say, no, 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 no. Their blind prioritization of the rules was leading to mistreatment of humans, the same humans that God gave that law in the first place to benefit. Do you see the issue? Their emphasis on following the rules to a T was actually causing them to mistreat others. And that made Jesus angry. And this can happen in our day and age. I, I was thinking about what the, the Pharisees did and something that happened in our household. Um, to understand the story, you have to know in our household, uh, we like, well, me and Anna like to antagonize people. And then, um, and then we do like to tickle our kids a lot. And it, if you've been around kids, you know, sometimes they say, oh, stop. But they really mean keep tickling me, you know. Stop, ha, <laughs> ha. And so we have a rule that when you say, please stop, that's like, I'm not joking, 100% serious, this is a boundary, stop now, right? Please stop. So in our family, please stop is a big deal rule. And if you break it, you get in big trouble because it, it's a boundary. It's saying, I'm done, please stop, no more. But the kids uh, just last week had, had a rule clarification. Right? They're like, <laughs> and they said, uh, and I think it was a philosophical question, I'm guessing, a hypothetical question. And, and at least they said it positive. They said, if someone says, please stop breathing, you don't have to do that, right? <laughs> Correct. You do not have to follow that. Please stop. All right. My boundary is you stop breathing. Yeah, no, that doesn't work. Right? But it, and you see what's going on there? Taking a rule and using it to work against someone. That's what the Pharisees and religious leaders are doing in Jesus' day. And Jesus is angry about that. So the religious leaders, they're trying to undermine Jesus' influence, and he's angry, their prioritization. Now, before we move on, I want you just to consider what, what causes outrage in you? What causes anger in you? If anger happens because you're experiencing pain, because something about the world is wrong, it's not the way it's supposed to be, what is that that causes anger or outrage in your heart? What lies underneath that? What's going on underneath the surface in your heart, in your life? What causes your anger? But again, Jesus gets our anger. He got angry too. 
love this quote from New Testament scholar Craig Blomberg. He said, the true test of genuine Christianity is how believers treat those whom they are naturally inclined to hate or who mistreat or persecute them. Now, he's commenting on Jesus' teaching that we're going to look at in a moment. But again, I'd encourage you to consider who are the people that you are naturally inclined to hate? Who are people who mistreat you or persecute you? What's your natural response? Jesus gets our anger, and Jesus teaches a better way. If you have your Bible, I want to encourage you to turn to Matthew. Matthew chapter 5, verse 43. If you don't have your Bible, it's, it's totally fine. Uh, we have it on the screen. And also, if, you, if you're here and you don't have a Bible at all, we'd love to gift you one. Um, same place, back corner of the sanctuary after the service. Uh, we'd love to gift you a Bible today. Matthew 5, 43. This is Jesus' most famous teaching called the Sermon on the Mount. And this is part of what he taught there. And all throughout this teaching, he's trying to get at the core of what the law was always supposed to be about. He's digging underneath the surface. This is what the law said, but this is the true intent of how God wants us to live. Jesus says, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good. He blesses both. And he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. He sends rain on both. And if you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Let me just point out a couple things about what Jesus teaches here. Again, this is part of Jesus' most famous teaching. He's getting at the core of what the law was always supposed to be about. And did you notice too, he says, like, what does it matter if you do what everyone else does? He says, no, if you are a follower of me, if you consider yourself a Christian, a follower of Jesus, you are called to a higher standard. Someone should not look at your life and say, you handle, you're outright just like anyone else. There should be a visible and discernible difference in how you live your life. Now, if you're outside Christianity looking in, I know, and I'll just confess that I oftentimes don't live up to the way Jesus has called us to live. And you probably know other Christians that don't do that and are frustrated by that. The hypocrisy of Christians who say they follow Jesus but don't look anything like Jesus. The only response I'll give is don't condemn a mechanic and their skill based on the fact that they have a bunch of broken cars in the garage. Okay? You know what I'm saying? What unites Christians is us saying, I am broken. I am in need of healing. I can't treat people the way you've called me to without your help. That's what unites followers of Jesus. Saying, I need God's help. I need his forgiveness. I need his grace. And all of us say, we, we are works in progress. 
and we don't get this right all the time, but man, if you looked at us five years ago or 10 years ago, hopefully by God's grace, we're a lot better than we were then. But what unites us is saying we need Jesus' help to do this. So no, we don't do it perfectly all the time. But if you are a follower of Jesus, you should want to grow in this area of loving others the way God loved us. Also, a lot of people read that last verse where he says, you must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. We're like, okay, obviously this is not for me, right? No one can be perfect. But it's confusing because in English, we use the word perfect and we mean multiple things. And there was actually different words for different aspects of those things in the original language that the New Testament was written in. So what I mean is there's a perfection in the original language related to moral purity or sinlessness. And there's a perfection related to maturity. And the word that's used here is this kind of perfection. More, uh, not moral perfection as much as maturity. Think about it this way. Um, If you have kids, the moment your kid was born, a lot of you might have maybe even said, he or she is perfect, right? Perfect. And what you meant is like, so sweet and innocent, right? My baby is perfect. But is your baby mature? (laughs) Able to behave the way an adult should? No. It says, you must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. It's saying you must be perfectly mature. And this raises just a good question I encourage you to ask yourself. When you feel anger or outrage rising up in you, you should stop and say, what would a perfectly mature person do in this situation? And then I would encourage you to do that instead of what you were about to do. What would a mature person do in this situation? He's just calling us to maturity. But it's a hard challenge, isn't it? Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Another insight from Craig Blomberg commenting on this exact text. He says, now Jesus teaches the principle that Christian kindness should transcend even straightforward tit-for-tat retribution. Jesus contrasts radically with most others of his day in stressing the need to decisively break the natural chain of evil action and reaction that characterizes human relationships. Jesus gets our anger He also teaches us a better way. What is Craig Blomberg saying about this? He's saying the natural thing we all do, apart from God, you hurt me, I hurt you back. You pass me and slam on your brakes, I pass you and slam on my brakes. That's tit for tat human retribution. Or at least say mean things about you in the comfort of my car. But there's an, just a chain reaction. Evil begets evil begets evil, right? We get it and we push it back. And Jesus is teaching us a better way. He's saying, no, I want you to take it and not give it back. I want you to break that cycle. And when someone treats you as an enemy, you pray for them. 
and you love them. See, going back to that uh, account in Mark chapter three, when Jesus got angry, I'm convinced that Jesus didn't have the kind of anger that so often I had, an anger that was instigated by, oh, I don't like that. Instead, it was an anger driven by love. That Jesus loved that man with a shriveled hand and wanted healing for him. But not only that, but Jesus loved those Pharisees. And he was grieved at their hardened hearts. And he wanted them to see how obvious it was that they were prioritizing the rules over love. His anger was driven not by hate, but by love. And that's a very different kind of anger than most of us experience and act on most of the time. But that's what Jesus taught that we should do, and I believe modeled that we should do. So, another question for you to reflect on. Not just what makes you angry, I want you to reflect on that, but I also want you to reflect on how might your anger change if it was actually driven by love? How might your anger for you, your outrage change if it was driven by love? And so on the very small chance that the person who cut out our sign ever watches this, um, I do want to say that even though in the moment I found out I was angry, I got over that pretty fast. Carrie can attest. I responded quickly, pretty quickly to your text. That, oh, it's a great sermon illustration. Uh, and we do want to say as a church community, we love you. Um, if you ever need anything, reach out to us. We have a fund set aside to help people in our community. And you'd always be welcome at Creekside Community Church. And we hope, if you don't already know him, that you find Jesus and follow him. Because we believe he is He's the best thing ever, and he wants good for you, and I really mean that. This is a prophecy about Jesus written hundreds of years before he ever walked this earth. Isaiah wrote this. He said that he was despised and rejected by men a man of suffering who knew what sickness was. He was like someone that people turned away from, were disgusted by, didn't want to look at. He was despised, and we didn't value him. Yet he himself bore our sicknesses, and he carried our pains. But we, in turn, regarded him stricken, struck down by God and afflicted. But he was pierced because of our rebellion. He was crushed because of our iniquities. Punishment for our peace was on him. And we are healed by his wounds. We all went astray like wandering sheep. We all have turned to our own ways and the Lord has punished him for the iniquity of us all. It's an amazing passage of scripture for a number of reasons. But one of the biggest ones, and I think you saw this as we read through it, is just the clear statement of who is against God and who is against God's chosen one? 
We, us, all of us. Every single one of us despised and rejected God's chosen one. And yet he still came for us. And yet he still went to the cross for us and for you and for all of us. See, when Jesus says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, this is not some soft, passive love. This is Jesus teaching what he himself did his entire life and what he did in the biggest act of all, which is go to the cross. Because all of us were his enemies. He said, I love you even through death. Jesus practiced what he preached on that cross that he went to. As he was there dying, he said, Father, forgive them. Talking to the people in front of him, talking to the people who had been spitting on him, cursing him, talking to the Roman guards who had driven nails into his arms and were sitting in front of him, taking his clothes, casting lots for them, that Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. Because they don't know what they are doing. I want to tell you today that Jesus practiced what he preaches. He didn't just say, love your enemies and then go and do something else. He said, love your enemies, and then he loved us all the way to death, even when we were his enemy. It's amazing love. And I say that to say too, once upon a time, I was God's enemy. And my heart was broken by his love for me. And even if right now you are his enemy, guess what? He loves you and has paid the way through his life and death and resurrection for you to have life with him and forgiveness of sins and a fresh start and a healing of all the things that are broken in your heart and life. Another question that comes up with this is, how could he possibly do that? How could he be on that cross and say, Father, forgive them? Like in this moment of intense pain and suffering, how could he have that much self-control in that moment? That much mental capacity and heart capacity to love people even in that moment? And I don't know, it's amazing to me. But my hunch is that he was able to do that in that huge moment because his whole life long, he had practiced in all the small moments. When he went to the synagogue and the Pharisees were there, focusing on their rules and not loving that man, instead of hating those Pharisees, he chose to love them. And when his own brothers or half-brothers thought he was crazy, he chose to love them. He chose love in all the small moments his whole life. And so that when it came to the big moment, I think he was ready. He was continuing to do what he had chosen to do his entire life. And he calls people who have entrusted themselves to him to follow him. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. 
be mature in that way because that's what maturity looks like. Think about uh, this idea of maturity. And uh, I know my wife Janelle has been working on uh, how she communicates with our kids. If you're familiar with the colors and personality types, there's you know yellow, green, blue. Well, Janelle's are red, which all you need to know is reds use their words and their volume and intensity to control situations and to express their desires and thoughts. And so all I'll say, it's very natural for Janelle to get loud and intense when the kids are disobeying and being bad. And she's been praying a lot about that. Um, and sorry, I'm laughing. I just saw someone nudge someone. So it <laughs> kind of cracked me up and broke my concentration. <laughs> you guys don't realize I see you, you guys nudging each other. But, um. <laughs> Uh, but long story short, she's been praying about this and, and saying, you know, God, help me. I don't want to just raise my volume and intensity with my kids. And she's been working on this. And um, there's been a couple times where she's really intentionally stopped, like, this is what I want to do, but this is what I'm going to do instead. And it's amazing because several times she has enough um, evidence of what would have happened, right? <laughs> she has a pretty good comparison of like, wow, I, I didn't raise the intensity. I didn't raise the volume. And the kids normally raise intensity back. And instead, I lowered my volume intensity and they lowered theirs. And we were able to have this good conversation. And I love it because she's doing the mature thing and working for that. What would a perfectly mature person do? Lowering the volume. And I think that's a good illustration of what followers of Jesus are supposed to do in our world and our culture today. Everyone is raising the volume. And the natural, easy thing to do is just do that. (laughs) Raise the volume back. Jesus says to us, no, be the mature person in the room. Lower the volume. Lower the intensity. And when you do that, you're leading the way to hopefully a better world, better conversation by loving your enemies and praying for those who persecute you. Final thought, Ed Stetzer wrote, we cannot reach people and hate people at the same time. Love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. If your heart is filled with hate, honestly, if there's a person or a group of people and you just have that anger towards them, Jesus gets it, but he wants to teach us a better way. And I invite you in a moment when we have this time of response, to just bring that before him and say, this is in my heart, but I don't want it in my heart anymore. Would you fix me, God? Would you go to work? The divine mechanic, right? (laughs) My car is broken. My heart's broken. Would you fill me with your love and help me treat people the way you want me to treat them the way you treated me even when I was your enemy? Jesus gets us and he wants to teach us a better way. And so, would you take that better way? And if you've never chosen to follow him, the invitation's open. You can say yes to that right now, today. If you'd like prayer for something specifically, um, our prayer team's gonna be in the back during this final song. Uh, again, I wanna affirm, this brought something up in you that you just need to talk through, 
uh, and talk about Jake, Deanna, Kirk, myself, we'd all be happy to grab coffee with you sometime this week to meet together, um, to hear what's going on in your life, to pray with you. Um, but this is our time of response. So a worship team, come on up and close us in song as we celebrate the fact that even though we fail at this all the time, his love never does. Let me pray for us and we'll respond in song. Jesus, I thank you that you didn't simply throw out this teaching, but you lived it every day of your life. And it would have been so easy for you at any point along the way to get fed up with us, to choose not to go through with it, not to save us, but you were driven by love for us. And so together, we just want to say thank you so much for your amazing love for us that drove you, that drove you ultimately to the cross. Thank you for being willing to go through such rejection in order to fix and heal what's broken in us. And God, for all of us, wherever we're at with you, I pray that we would just be inspired by you and your life. And God, would in, in each of us, those, the people, individuals, groups that are just so natural for us to hate, would you go to work in our hearts and give us a miraculous, unexplainable love for them? Help us to be perfectly mature and grow in that direction and be the kinds of people who lower the volume and lower the intensity and lower the outrage and are driven by love and not by hate. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.